0: As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror, when these examples occur within scripture we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows we shall also see that ultimately as with all scripture that these types and shadows point to the substance which is jesus in this episode we continue our study of the story of jacob and esau in the second episode We fast-forwarded 40 years only to see Esau marrying two idol-worshipping Hittites who refused to take any instruction from Isaac or Rebekah and whom caused grief of mind to both. Jump forward another 37 years and Isaac prepares to bestow patriarchal blessing upon Esau despite Esau's completely dismal lack of spiritual character in his life. As we closed out part two, we began to ponder the question as to why Isaac, who did live as a man of faith, would be able to bless Esau rather than Jacob, given all the respective background of the brothers that we have studied to date. In fact, As you will recall, we proposed three theories as to what explains Isaac's behavior. First, there was the theory that Isaac was simply following cultural and or familial rituals and giving the blessing to his firstborn. Second, Isaac was perhaps mentally and or spiritually diminished in his discernment and judgment to the point he had no idea what he was doing thirdly, there was perhaps a deeper insight and meaning to our story at hand, which represents types and shadows uh, pointing to a greater substance. It is possible that our first clue may come in verse 2, which says, and he said, behold now, I am old, I know not the day of my death, unquote whereas this itself may not help the aramaic targums do the targums say in this instance and it was when isaac was old and his eyes were darkened from seeing that he called esau his elder son on the 14th of nisan and he said behold now i am old i know not the day of my death unquote What this commentary tells us is that instead of the idea that Isaac randomly called Esau to bless him merely because Isaac thought he was dying, the fact that Isaac thought to call Esau and bless him was in fact tied to the 14th of Nisan. As a reminder, Nisan the 14th is the night when the Paschal Lamb is slain. If so, this would provide an important clue as to the substance of our type. Keeping this in mind, as we pick up the narrative with Genesis chapter 27, verse 3, Isaac had just sent Esau to go hunt, find some venison, and prepare Isaac some savory meat so that Isaac can bless Esau. The actual dialogue is worth another look. Quote, Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Now, to be quite honest, when I read this passage, I cannot help but think that Isaac is acting more like a convicted man on death row the morning before his execution than he is a hero of faith. Instead of focusing on who he is giving the blessing to and how that is going to further God's plan of salvation, Isaac is only looking for one last opportunity to sit down and to his favorite meal. If he had actually been dying, perhaps we could empathize, but we know he lived for another some 50 years. Then there's Isaac's statement about his soul. Are we really to believe that a man's soul, particularly a man of God's soul, is unable to bestow a blessing without first having a savory meal? It seems to me that if we are really talking about one's soul, a godly man's soul would be refreshed by faith and not by the things of this world. Now, obviously Isaac's statement about his soul is a euphemism meant to say that if he could engage in eating refreshing nourishment, he would have enough strength to bestow the blessing. But even with this charitable rephrase in mind, the fact is that Isaac is still content, it seems, to trade a good dinner for God's blessing to the wrong person. If Isaac were really functioning as the man of faith that we expect him to be, we might expect, even though the verses had not been written as yet, for him to say, if at least not to think, something to the effect of, quote, I'm not going to think of my belly at a time like this. I'm not sending anyone out to the field with a bow and quiver to kill venison. No, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God." I am not going to make having a juicy steak the price of giving away God's blessing to the wrong person, unquote. In this case, we are fortunate indeed that the Bible story was not being broadcast as a series of cliffhangers. If it were, we might be ending our session here under the belief that Isaac was going to mess up everything and that Esau like the man in the iron mask, i.e. the wrong person, was going to inherit the blessing and God's plan would be thwarted. Then, just as we think all hope is lost, Rebekah comes to the rescue in, with verses 5 through 10. Quote, And Rebekah heard Isaac when Isaac spoke to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat, that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock, and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death." As Rebecca gets involved, we have mixed feelings. On the one hand, since most of us have spiritual discernment, we are not happy at the outset with the thought of Esau who is an admittedly carnal man obtaining God's blessing. Given God's prophecy to Rebekah, Esau versus Jacob's behavior, we are routing for Jacob to win. At the same time, we can't help feeling that Rebekah is supplanting her own solution for God's solution. It would also seem that the polarity between Isaac and Rebekah's preferences are coming to a head. Even from the beginning, back in Genesis chapter 25, verse 28, we read, quote, And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob, unquote. So, from an early stage, both Isaac and Rebekah demonstrated a clear preference for their favorite child, At this point, we might not know who to root for except for two facts. One, God had already given his prophecy to Rebekah regarding the elder serving the younger, and here we are told that Isaac's preference for Esau is driven by Isaac's love for Esau's venison. Including this mention, the incident where Jacob bargains for Esau's birthright for the lentils and Isaac's desire for venison so that he can bless Isaac before Isaac dies, we have three incidences where food is the primary concern motivating our players. In this regard, Isaac and Esau seem to share a common love of food which binds their relationship. Going back to Genesis chapter 27, verses 5 through 10, when Rebekah gets involved, she sends Jacob to, quote, go to the flock, unquote, where Rebekah commands Jacob to fetch two good kid goats from whence she can make savory meat for Isaac to eat, and Isaac can then bless Jacob. These verses supply information which raises several questions Given the fact Rebecca sends Jacob to obtain venison from, quote, the flock, unquote, logic would dictate that if there was a flock in existence belonging to the family at large from which Jacob could obtain two kid goats, if this is the case, then why did Isaac send Esau into, quote, the field, unquote, to get venison? Why didn't Isaac simply send Esau to, quote, the flock, unquote, where Esau could have quickly obtained venison? If Isaac believes he is dying, then isn't haste important? If he is that hungry for venison, then why not send Esau where there is quick and ready supply from which to get Isaac's meal? The next question is, why does Rebecca want two kid goats? Surely one kid goat would suffice to be butchered in order to supply Isaac with his venison. To answer these questions, as well as solving the larger puzzle of what substance this story holds, we need to look at our text carefully. We know from reading the Targums that Isaac did not randomly pick any day to give Esau the blessing rather he chose the event of the 14th of nisan which would have been the preparation for what was later to be known as the passover next we have the convenient fact given little question that rebecca merely overheard the conversation when isaac gave esau instructions leading to his blessings the targums again shed possible light on this by saying And Rebekah heard by the Holy Spirit as Isaac spake with Esau his son. Now, if this commentary is true, then we may have a crack in our case. Traditionally, almost every commentary universally attributes a certain level of admitted carnality to Esau. Jacob, on the other hand, is a scheming trickster and deceiver, who for the greater portion of his life lives up to his namesake. Likewise, Rebekah is the one willing to go against her husband to conspire to deceive him to help her favorite son. Lastly, Isaac is the well-meaning man of faith who has succumbed to old age, poor eyesight, and failing discernment. But, in contrast, here we have the allegation that the Holy Spirit is directly involved with informing Rebekah of the conversation between Isaac and Esau, This being the case, the concept, methods, and outcome of the story would move from being the thoughts and plans of our cast of earthly characters to being the inspiration and direction of God. From the outset of our story, we knew by virtue of God's declaration that God's will was for Jacob and not Esau to receive the blessing. Yet, In the midst of all this, we have been dealing with the various shortcomings, idiosyncrasies, and faults of Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob. Up until this incident with Rebekah, we have been wondering how God would eventuate materializing His will for this family. When Rebekah forms her plan to help Jacob, the assumption is that Rebekah is jumping in with both feet, And the flesh without giving God the opportunity by faith to remedy the situation. But with this bit of information at hand, we may have the realization that this is the opportunity and method by which God has chosen in His providence to fulfill His will. Keeping this consideration in mind, let's continue and see whether additional information from our story confirms this theory or not. Returning to the narrative from our story, as Rebekah gives instructions to Jacob, we read the following from the Targums: Go now to the house of the flock, and take me from thence two fat kids of the goats, one for the Pashka, and one for the oblation of the feast, and I will make of them food for thy father, such as he loveth. The passage from the Targums provides us with an amazing answer to the former question posed. Namely, why does Rebekah instruct Jacob to obtain two kid goats from the flock? Obviously, for just an average plate to satisfy Isaac's need to taste venison one more time before he thinks he's going to die, all that is really required is one kid. But if Isaac and Rebecca are preparing for a precursor of the Passover meal, then two would certainly take on a profound meaning indeed. Now some are going to point out that the festival, known traditionally as the Passover, is not really a recognizable tradition until Exodus, when God prepares to move his people out of Egypt. Later still, it becomes obvious that the Passover, with all of its various particular observances, is a type of the substance which is Jesus' propitiatory sacrifice on the cross for his people. Thus, some will protest any inference that what amounts to the Passover is being celebrated during Isaac's day. But I would submit the following based upon Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, which says, quote, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world." Unquote. What this and other verses support is the theological truth that it was God's plan in anticipation of creating the world and all that is that he would send his son, Jesus, as a propitiatory sacrifice to be slain on our behalf for our sins so that all whom he draws to faith might be justified and made righteous through Jesus' finished work. Since the planning for Christ's sacrifice, which is the substance of the Passover, was there from the beginning, it is logical that from the moment that Adam and Eve made this contingency plan a reality, we would expect to see God progressively revealing and demonstrating the various typological truths of the Passover towards its substance. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, we find God himself killing an innocent animal as a covering for Adam and Eve's nakedness. In Genesis 4, we find Cain and Abel performing sacrifices. As we saw in a previous episode entitled The Offering of Cain and Abel, the respective offerings made by the brothers definitely give the impression that God had given the basic elements of the meaning of a propitiatory type to Adam and Eve, who in turn passed it on to their descendants. Next, we have Noah and his family giving sacrifice immediately after leaving the ark. Finally, we have Abraham offering his son Isaac and the ram, which eventually God supplied in Isaac's stead. All of these and more point to the fact that the idea of a propitiatory sacrifice was already being observed in some sense prior to Exodus. This is why, as one begins to research the roots of the Passover, the initial mention of the word Quote unquote Passover is that of Exodus, but there are numerous references that make it historically clear that the elements of the Passover and its harvest celebration were already present in the surrounding cultures. Secular skeptics, in fact, often like to use these references to infer or demand that Israel and the later church stole the Passover ritual from pagan sources, and thus Judaism and Christianity plagiarized them. However, the truth is that the surrounding cultures in question were descendants of one of Noah's three sons. Each of the three would have known about, if not been practicing, the various rituals taught to them by their father Noah. It is also logical to conclude that as time went on, the various descendants of Noah, particularly in the case of Ham and Canaan, corrupted those rituals to suit their own purpose. Hence, in reality, it was the surrounding cultures of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's day who learned the elements of the harvest celebration and or Passover from God and his people, and not the other way around. With all of this as our opening statement, the statement is that Isaac called Esau to obtain venison on the 14th of Nisan, which is the opening date for the observance of Passover, while Rebekah requests two kid goats. The explanation, as stated earlier, is one goat is for the Pascha, i.e. the Passover, and the other is for the Feast, It is perhaps too coincidental for comfort that in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 5 through 22, Moses relays God's full detailed instructions for the Day of Atonement, i.e. Yom Kippur. In this liturgy, two young male goats who were without blemish and who were nearly identical were selected. One of the goats was killed and its blood was sprinkled in the most holy place, the inner chamber of the sanctuary. The second goat, however, was sacrificed on the altar. The high priest placed his hands on the horns and the head of the goat and confessed over it all of Israel's sins. The goat was then led by a designated man into the wilderness and released. All of these various events happening during the Day of Atonement stand as types pointing to the substance of Jesus' sacrifice. In the case of the substance, Jesus, he is the fulfillment of both goats. Firstly, Jesus was sacrificed and killed as in the case of the first goat. His blood was shed and sprinkled on the altar of the Most Holy Place at the Father's throne when He ascended and presented Himself there as a propitiatory sacrifice for the sins of His people. Secondly, Jesus, as the perfect and most high priest, used His own power and authority, i.e. the substance of the type of the horns, and confess the sins of all God's people who will, by His grace, be drawn to place their faith and trust in Him as their high priest. Thirdly, when Jesus rose again by His own power, He was set free, as was the second goat, from the power of death, hell, and the grave. So, too, we have been drawn to place our faith and trust in Jesus, have our sins buried, and we are set free from the power of hell, death, and the grave. We are raised by his power and given new life as we abide in him in faith. Thus, we have two interpretations of this story juxtaposed, one against the other. In the first, we have the idea that Isaac and Rebekah are two parents who have chosen for their own personal reasons to prefer one of their sons over the other. Each parent treats the siblings according to their biases. We also have two siblings who, although twins, are very different. These siblings exploit one another as well as their parents, and only through the virtue of life's lottery does Jacob eventually succeed despite his shortcomings. Then we have God, who despite giving a clear prophecy to Rebekah as to his will, is interrupted by Rebekah and Jacob, and never has the opportunity to achieve his will according to his method. In the second interpretation, we consider the possibility that while some of the above is at some level historical reality, God, nonetheless, orchestrated or allowed these realities to exist so as to serve as types pointing away to a greater theological substance. The challenge will be to understand what the types are, and what they signify, if anything. But, before we pronounce a verdict, let us elicit the remaining facts and evidence for our deliberation. After Rebecca gives Jacob the directive to obtain the kid goats, she makes it clear that the plan is that Jacob will bring the savory meat to Isaac so that Isaac can be satisfied and will give the blessing to Jacob. Upon making this proposition, Jacob replies in verses 11 and 12, saying, And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father, preadventure, will feel me and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. The Aramaic Targums add, And because Jacob was afraid to sin, fearing lest his father might curse him, he said, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall be in his eyes like one who derideth him, and bring upon me a curse, and not a blessing." Unquote. Notice that Rebekah never gives any indication or suggestion at this point that Jacob should pretend to be Esau. Strictly speaking, at this point, if we stop here, The suggestion is that Isaac will bless Jacob when Jacob brings that which Isaac requests. It is Jacob who believes that Isaac will curse and not bless Jacob because Jacob is different in what are described as some superficial features from his brother Esau. We assume further that Isaac was bent on giving the blessing which Jacob received by quote-unquote trickery to Esau no matter what. That assumption gets stronger because of Jacob's statement above. But we have to ask what if, just what if Isaac, although old, was still wise enough to recognize and honor the prophecy which God had given to Rebekah? What if Isaac intended to bless Esau, but the blessing in question was always going to be the same one ultimately given, namely that Esau would serve his younger brother? We know that Jacob vocalizes his concern regarding his father, Isaac, perceiving Jacob as a deceiver. Jacob further worries about Isaac realizing the deception and pronouncing a curse instead of a blessing. Upon sharing this with Rebekah, Rebekah responds to Jacob with information that provides even further insight to our drama. That information and the insight which follows will have to wait until our next episode. Until then, this concludes this episode. Please join me again for Episode 4. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor-yeshua at yahoo.com. That's PASTOR underscore YESHUA at Yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. The world
1: falls around me, I rest and know that he has found me. Christ, the rock is my. I will trust in Him I will trust in Him